0: I'm walking down the side of a reservoir in the middle of the North Pennines at the top of the Durham Dales. And that may seem an unusual place to start a podcast that's going to be all about the work that happens in cultural venues up and down the UK, and indeed across Europe and beyond. My name's Robin. I'm the Digital Director of the Association for Cultural Enterprises, and I've started the podcast here because this is the place that I come to do my thinking. It's the place where I come to just chew over the events of a day, a week, a month, and think, right, what can I do differently? What can we do better? And how can I move forward in my career? And how can I move forward the practice of the organisation I work for? stepped in out of the uh, the wind and I want to introduce the speaker that we're going to have on this first edition of the podcast. This first edition is going to be a little bit unusual. Normally we'll hear from uh, quite a few voices from across the sector. We'll pick a subject and over the course of 20 to 30 minutes we will look at that subject from many different angles. But on this occasion we're going to hear from just one person. And that person is Darren Henley, the Chief Executive of Arts Council England. Now whether you're listening to this in England or not, Darren is someone who's really worth listening to. Alongside being the chief executive of one of the most influential funders in the sector in the UK, he's also a published author on the subject of culture and innovation and creativity. What you're about to hear was recorded at the Association for Cultural Enterprises conference in February 2019. To hear someone of Darren's influence talking about his excitement and admiration for the world of cultural enterprises, to hear the statistics on growth that he quotes, the importance of the mixed model in funding organisations, to hear him talking about the fact that talented entrepreneurs are cultural leaders in his eyes, to hear him talking about the role between cultural enterprises and cultural organisations and town centres, the interplay between the two, The role of artisans is all really exciting, and I think Darren uses language here that you may find useful in talking to other people about the work that you do in talking about the value of cultural enterprises. It really is worth a listen. So here's Darren Henley.
1: Good morning, hello Brighton. So I am really, really pleased to be here, and it's uh, it's great. It's something that I think is really, really important. I do remember. First, having our first meeting up in the Northeast with the organization before you, uh, before you became uh, one of our mPOs, and um, I came away from that really excited, and I thought, yeah, this is these are the sorts of people that we should be working with. this is the sort of organization that maybe not everybody knows about, but that uh, we want to really see grow in the future and I suppose today i 'm speaking to an organization that has, in recent years Invol- evolved in many ways in parallel uh, to my own organisation. Um, we, we share uh, the same objective to ensure that our arts and cultural ecology has the resources, whether investment or skills, to thrive. And we do want to see a thriving arts and cultural sector. And our evolution uh, is reflected in our changing names and missions. The Arts Council of Great Britain became Arts Council England with the additional role of funder and development partner to museums and libraries. The Museum's Trading Association became the Association for Cultural Enterprises and now has 470 members across cultural institutions and suppliers, including many organisations that we invest in. And last year, you joined our national portfolio as a sector support organisation, and we're very proud of that. And you and your members do such brilliant work. And as one of your members commented, and I quote... Everything that ACE does is just so useful, so informative, really dynamic, and really interesting. I'm sure you'll have heard recently the BBC on their website and on You and Yours about the progress made by museum and gallery shops. Uh, You've been billed, as the and I quote, unlikely stars bucking the downturn in retail. And the BBC highlights how many visitors are now coming to museums and galleries specifically to visit their shops. And the quote, once stocked with little more than key rings and badges for visiting school children, you now offer designer homeware and exclusive gifts and attract shoppers looking for presents with a cultural touch. And the article picked up on the experience of quite a few places, and it's always a danger when you do the job that I do, you pick out one, and everyone else is very upset. I didn't pick out, So I apologise to everyone else. I did read the article, I know there are lots of other examples, but I'm going to uh, pick out the, the, the Baltic and Gateshead, which has 400,000 visitors a year, and 70% of them go to the shop. And since the Baltic opened in 2002, the shop has expanded from selling books to offering quirky gifts, prints for all pockets, and specially commissioned products. And you can get a finger puppet for 50 pence or a print by Anthony Gormley for 800 quid. And it has annual sales of half a million pounds. And the news may have focused on the experience of museum and galleries, but these are headlines in what I see as a developing story, ...about the increase in income from supplementary activity across the arts and culture sector. And for the last few years at the Arts Council, we've been watching this transformation uh, with excitement and admiration. I think the extent of the progress first became apparent when we crunched the numbers at the end of 2016... uh, ...and found that over the previous three years across our national portfolio organisations, earned income from commercial revenues had grown by 25%. And the real driver within that was supplementary activity, where income had grown by a staggering 75%. And just as fascinating was the range of activities behind this figure, from shops and merchandise, through restaurants and bars, to office space, bed and breakfast, charity outlets, car parks and film locations. And behind these figures, there was what I would say is a really extraordinary entrepreneurial energy that was awakening. We're currently, right now, looking at the figures from our latest uh, annual survey. And while we're still sorting out and looking at the, uh, and teasing out the stories and the particulars, our first impressions is that that rate of progress is being sustained. And we'll know more about these figures later in the year. But I'm expecting us to have a good story to tell. And I want to say right away to thank you and to celebrate the brilliant work that you are all doing in this area. At the Arts Council, we really applaud the achievements of the sector and those here today. And we want to work with you to take this further. This is important because resilience requires options. The mixed model that we have for funding must be the basis for long-term security for the arts and culture sector. Over the years, people have often asked for simple ways to solve the dilemma of arts and culture funding. But though at times it may seem difficult, the mixed funding model that we have in this country, with public money working alongside earned income and philanthropy, is the best model, because it doesn't make any of us hostage to fortune. It protects us against the changes in government policy and champions the artistic integrity of cultural organisations. It's a strong model but it's taken a long time to develop and we're all still working on it. Without doubt, attitudes are changing and there's a new generation of cultural leaders who are also talented entrepreneurs and vice versa. Talented entrepreneurs who are also talented cultural leaders. There's more respect and more interchange. Of course, there will eventually be definitive change. Uh, But we must assume at the moment that public funding for arts and culture will continue to be tight. And communicating that reality, dealing with it, preparing for further change has been a major focus of the Arts Council's work. We will continue to help develop resilience across the sector, looking at new income streams, building financial and strategic partnerships and ensuring the work we invest in has genuine cultural ambition. You're very lucky because that cultural ambition gives you unique cultural products to work with. Right now, our high streets are in trouble with fierce online competition driving discounting, cost-cutting and consolidation. And there are many causes of this. But part of the problem has been the modernization of the high streets, the conformity of products and its lack of flexibility at a time when people have such wide choices elsewhere. The high street has little resilience and will need to change. Government and local authorities recognise this, but it will require a shift in how we think about and use our town centres. There has to be something special to bring the public to town. If you like, we need a new circus of a new kind. And cities and towns have always been mercantile centres, but alongside this, they've had a cultural significance, where there are centres of worship, of learning, of artistic skills... Or because the celebratory culture that has grown alongside all of these, including what we now call the nighttime economy, which in former ages meant a rowdy inn or two. We can look on the success of the museum or gallery shop or the theatre restaurant as an analogy for what a successful town centre could look like. It might well, instead of having a Debenhams and a sort of Nando's package of, of, of retail around it, of restaurants around it it might well have as its centre now a cultural attraction a guaranteeing footfall and a range of culturally inspired retail models with this, so that's when around that cultural uh, institution we see uh, Local small uh, craft businesses that you can't find on the internet, or if you are, if you do, they're uniquely uh, uh, available on the internet and, and this is their physical presence. Or small restaurants, locally run uh, coffee shops. That's the vision now. When I talk to chief executives of uh, local authorities up and down the country, that they want to see in the old days, they'd have wanted a Devon's, and that would have been what they wanted to start as their anchor point. Now they're talking to us and saying it's actually cultural institutions of one sort or another that will be our anchor point. And while the current economic situation, and I don't belittle this at all, is challenging for arts and cultural organisations, there is an opportunity for all of us here too, if we can communicate the role that arts organisations, museums and libraries can play in helping to rejuvenate our communal life. We're encouraged by the conversations between the cultural sector and local authorities. Many of them are thinking about how they can involve culture in their plans for the future of their cities and town centres. You may also know of the recent launch of the Cultural Cities Inquiry. It proposes aligning the strategic objectives of local authorities and the cultural sector through the creation of city compacts that will embed culture across a wide range of civic activity. And this compact model, working alongside other practical fiscal suggestions, provides another potential route to resilience. While we're always looking for the means to support the arts and culture sector, we shouldn't forget that the means itself has a special culture. The organisations and individuals here today bring something to the table that is both commercially valuable and culturally important. The global economy has brought us great prosperity, but also deep Disparity and insecurity. The ebb and flow in our high streets is a symptom of that. Globalisation has highlighted a crisis of identity that we're only now beginning to understand. Once, our nations and notions of uh, identity were bound up with production. Now, we define ourselves more through consumption. And the enterprises you represent, though, I believe, are different. They're quirky, independently minded, curious and creative. They have personalities that resonate with that quest for identity. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that buying a lovely set of postcards or a beautiful tote bag from your local museum will solve our collective identity struggle. But clearly, we're responding to a need for a localism that embeds the retail experience in something that is particular in a cultural sense. You offer customers products and experiences with an aesthetic and ethical value that may also connect them to place and time something that's beautiful, useful and reminiscent. This is not souvenir shopping, it has a spirit of creativity and inquiry. Sometimes it involves participation. What you do is, in a growing way, celebrating the revival of making and producing by artisans, which makes for a more creative kind of transaction. It revives the idea of production and it reminds us of the importance of creativity for all of us. Creativity, I really believe, changes things. And what elsewhere is just a purchase becomes a cultural conversation that extends the experience of the visit. It offers an encounter that many people feel they lack in the digital world. The BBC story I mentioned earlier noted the Imperial War Museum achieved a profit of £800,000 on retail sales of £5.2 million. And it may not be a surprise that last year they sold 6,500 Spitfire T-shirts. But it's interesting that their biggest seller is the guidebook, which is marketed and sold at the door as the equivalent to a £5 donation, bringing retail acumen to the business of philanthropy. It's a simple but ingenious initiative that again changes the nature of a transaction, though this time it actually works the other way uh, very successfully. It overcomes the barrier people have with charitable giving to cultural organisations. Quite often I find when I talk to people they don't realise that arts organisations, museums and libraries are charities, and I think that's something we need to constantly remind them of and help them to understand that actually charitable giving is an important part of those organizations' uh, revenue models. <coughs> One of the reasons for the successes of recent years seems to be uh, the understanding that our contemporary cultural experience is transactional in many different ways, extending beyond the main display or the main event, and that this complexity comes naturally to people now. So I don't think we should be afraid of talking to our customers, our consumers, our visitors, our audiences uh, in different ways. They actually are more aware of how things work than, uh, than we sometimes give them credit for. So what has the Arts Council been doing to support you and what more will it be doing? Well, from 2015 to 2018, we supported the Retail Resilience Programme, run by the Association for Cultural Enterprises, which had 180 participating organisations. And the experience of delivering it uh, led the association uh, to apply to become one of our national portfolio organisations, one of our sector support organisations for the very first time. And as I say, we're very, very proud. We're, we're sending you hard at work around the country, uh, but already we're seeing some uh, great dividends there. One of the things I often talk about is I'm very happy using the word dividends um, uh, in the work that we do. And I'm very happy also using the word investment. Um, One of the words I don't like using is subsidy, actually, because I think that talks about that smacks of market failure. We invest in great arts organisations, great museums, great libraries, great galleries around the country because we know that that investment... Uh, pays dividends in people's lives. Sometimes those dividends will be economic, but also there are huge dividends for individuals, uh, for society, for communities, for place based uh, storytelling, uh, and huge things that people do. The idea of, uh, of creative people, of, uh, of having cultural institutions and organizations in your life changes the way that you view the world. And so that idea of investment and dividends being paid out uh, is, is really, really important. Both of the ACEs, you as an ACE and we as an ACE, um, will continue to promote commercial best practice, to educate and to train, to offer support and networking opportunities to show how we can share information that we all need and how we can also raise the profile of what you do as a sector as a whole, but what you particularly in this room do as part of that sector as well. At the Arts Council, we've been developing our own enterprise and innovation team, focusing on the areas that I've touched on. We have a team there that's working together to think about uh, enterprise and innovation uh, across everything that we do and everyone that we work with, but how new technology, arts and technology in terms of the creative process or the curatorial process, uh, looking at uh, areas where we look at data in different ways, but also how we work with organisations to improve their businesses as well. What are the systems and processes that we can work with you? What's the learning that we can share from different parts of the country and for different organisations and Nicola and her team are leading on that and it's already making a real difference to the quality of the conversations we're having but also we're starting to see real output and changes uh, in our organisations. And we aren't saying that in the past the sector hasn't been enterprising and innovative but we do know that on our part we need to bring a real stronger focus to this area and we recognise, too, the economic and ethical importance of building on the environmental sustainability of the sector. And this is something uh, that we've been very successful on working with organisation, Julie's Bicycle. And we're embedding this in all the other work that we support. So the Environmental Sustainability Brief now sits with Nicola within the enterprise and innovation team. And across our enterprise, audience insight and arts and technology teams, we're also supporting digital upskilling in the sector. One of the things we hear is that um, uh, we don't often have the knowledge and the expertise and the skills to take ourselves as organisations to the, to the technological place that we need to be. Uh, and, uh, and that's really, really important. I say quite often I don't want to be in 10 years' time running the Analog Council, which has a rump of organisations that really, really failed to, 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 to understand these sorts of products. Anybody who has anybody under the age of 25 in their lives will know that much of their consumption of anything uh, takes place uh, through through one of these. And we as organisations and individuals have got to make sure that we're relevant to them, that our brands and the people we work with are relevant to those. I know there's a huge amount of good work, but I don't think anymore we can afford for this to be a peripheral that sits on the edge of an organisation. Technology should, and the use of technology should be absolutely central at the heart of every organisation. And we've actually now, just this week... Uh, uh, I just started this week. We have nine new tech champions based in our nine offices across the country and uh, as part of our digital culture network. And their job will be to specifically focus on developing the skills and the digital skills of arts organisations, museums and libraries. And they'll work alongside our existing team of uh, relationship managers. So they will be there specifically to help with those tech challenges that organisations, particularly smaller organisations, uh, might have. At the Arts Council we're currently working on our new 10-year strategy that will run from 2020 to 2030 and there's been a long consultation period with the sector, with partners and with the public and the strategy is now going through the drafting stage and it'll be out again for consultation later in this year. And it's early days but support for resilience is something that people are looking for and it will be a strong element of all of our future work. What I've touched on today is a success story, which I hope and we hope as the Arts Council will grow. But success can generate dilemmas. As the 2017 Mendoza Review into Museums showed, museum visitor numbers have risen, and even in the context of diminishing local authority funding. And that's a tribute to the curatorial job that musicians are doing. Musicians? Museums are doing. Uh, And uh, it also says something about the kind of experience people are looking for. And I should just say, we're here at a conference talking Uh, about the businessy side of what we do but at the Arts Council it is extraordinarily important to us that we do invest in artistic cultural curatorial excellence that is really really very much at the heart of what we do and that's the first thing that we do. Everything else radiates out from that. I realise sometimes at a conference like this we might end up talking about the other stuff but the heart of what we do uh, that creative and curatorial excellence uh, has to be uh, really really the central part of our DNA Um, And there is a real tribute, I think, to that growth that we've seen in the curatorial job that museums are doing. And it also says something about the kind of experience that people are looking for. Um, As I mentioned, you're seizing opportunities to develop shops and cafes, which has been reflected in the rise in earned income across museums uh, over the recent years. However, access to public funding is increasingly linked to engaging with new audiences and visitors, and they may not always be those who are better off. And we should be wary that the drive for resilience doesn't lead to dependency on a particular demographic and that we're not shutting our doors to other people. And hence the importance of what I said earlier, the mixed funding model, of having income streams that independently complement each other and don't push an organisation into one too simple a direction. Public funding at a national and local level allows us to have a say in how art and culture is run and who it's run for. It should ensure that diversity is prioritised and that people are not excluded from cultural experiences because of social or economic barriers. Resilience requires diversity of practice, diversity of staff and diversity of audiences. Uh, And this is an area that change is coming, but it is slow. And I would say that resilience... uh, is also driven by diversity because diversity of audiences gives you new markets to work with and to talk to. And are you maximising every market? When we look at the way England looks and feels uh, uh, up and down the country in the 21st century, are you, hand on heart, maximising every part of that market in a purely economic sense? Less public investment would mean less influence. And that will be a loss to the public and to the overall robustness of this sector. We can't just ask all of you in this room, however good and you are good at doing the job that you're doing today, to to say you know it's just up to you guys and you just get on with it. So all of us, while talking about the success of earned income, need to see it in the context as part of that mixed model. We need to be advocates too for public investment and the value of arts and culture sector in the wider community. At some stage there will be uh, a spending review post-Brexit. The government has signalled that. We don't know when it will be because we don't know when Brexit will be or what Brexit will look like, but it will come at some stage. And I think we should do more to shout more about the importance of the impact that you and your organisations have on the wider economy. I see, for example, that your associate members include 120 suppliers across a great long list, books and publishing, children's toys, clothing and accessories, food, wine and confectionery, gifts and homeware, greetings cards and stationery, jewellery, prints and reproductions, services and consultancy, (coughs) shop fitting and design, ticketing and electronic point of sale. And I could go on. It shows that the cultural economy has an increasingly broad and deep reach, creating jobs and supporting communities across the country. It's an important story showing what has been achieved with the stimulus of public funds and what more we could do. It shows that with our nation's extraordinary cultural assets and your ingenuity and business acumen, cultural investment can create a cultural enterprise economy. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for listening to me this morning.
0: Well, for me, that was a pep talk and a rallying cry for the cultural enterprises sector all rolled into one. Thanks very much to Darren Henley for coming and speaking at the Association for Cultural Enterprises Conference this year, 2019. What did you think? Email us at info at acenterprises.org.uk. I'm Robin Cantrell-Fennig. Next time on the Cultural Enterprises podcast, I'll be gathering together a panel of experts to discuss the whole subject, of retail buying. See you then.